0: And good afternoon, good hot afternoon to everybody. Dan, you staying cool? Yes, Buzz, I am. You're Um, in the studio. It's nice and cool here. It's always always freezing. Always 72, right? Always 38 Uh, below zero. Yeah. Um, Well, that's... uh, Meanwhile, we have Brian Adams and... (laughs) As an attorney who did some criminal law over the course of my career, I'm really surprised that today he has invited a guest who does forgery. Is, is that what you told me? You've got a forger coming on, Brian?
1: Buzz, welcome back to the Valley, but you just got to get your head back, back together here. Oh, what, there's, the a difference, there's, a, there's a difference between forging and foraging. Oh, that A in there. That A in there makes all the difference in the world. You need to know that as an attorney. Uh, Let me begin by telling you what I did to escape the heat yesterday, which was to go up to Goshen, to the DAR, up there on that beautiful public lake that they have and had a wonderful time with my wife kayaking around the perimeter of the lake. And we spent a bunch of time foraging. Uh, Blueberries were out, and they were delicious. They're tiny, but boy, are they good. And that's what we're going to talk about on our show today. I am delighted to have Blanche Derby in the studio with us. Blanche, thank you so much for joining
2: us. I'm glad to be here.
1: Blanche has been foraging for food and supplementing her diet with wild plants for over 50 years, which is impressive. We won't tell you how old she is, but you folks do the math. She's 51. (laughs) Yeah. She's written and illustrated three books. Uh, lots of newspaper articles made three films and over 75 YouTube videos on the art of foraging for wild food. So let's begin with this. It is the end of July, midsummer. What are you foraging
2: for now? What's, what's in season? Well, this is a tricky time because it's been so hot. I'm going after berries. Berries is July is berry time usually. Uh, the berries that I'm going for now are blueberries and blackberries. They are both very high in anthocyanins, which is a fancy word, which means they're really dark color, and they're very, very good for the immune system. So, But they also taste good, and I just love them. So those are m- my main targets. There are some greens that I'm going after. Wood sorrel, which is, most people just pull it out of the garden. It looks like clover, but it has it has three leaves like clover, but the three leaves are shaped like little hearts. So that's how you can tell wood sorrel.
1: It's got a really tangy, tangy. taste, right?
2: A lot of people call it lemongrass, and whenever I do weed walks, a lot of the folks who are participating in the walk say, Oh, I, I know that. I used to put it in my mouth as a child. It seems like it's almost a universal thing that people have chewed on it when they were young. And uh, so they're familiar with that. And I like that because it has a really wonderful lemony flavor. And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll take the leaves and put them in my salads. And then I'll also take the leaves and put them in cold water and let them sit there for a while. Strain them out, and the water has this subtle taste of lemon, which I find really nice on a hot day like today.
1: I, I was looking at your um, Facebook site, and I saw that uh, when you're foraging for blackberries, you wear a bike helmet so as not to get your hair entangled. I just found that uh, quite quite amusing. I mean, there there do you have dramatic foraging incidents where you've pick the wrong berries or mushrooms, close encounters of wildlife with wildlife of the not-so-pleasant...
2: Uh... Um, yeah, I've had close encounters with wildlife, but not with the plants necessarily. Wildlife meaning humans. One time I was picking wild blueberries in the cranberry bogs down in the Cape, and it was in a pretty isolated area. And all of a sudden, a car full of guys came by, opened their car door, were about to come out and encounter me. I'll put it nicely. But my husband, luckily, was behind the blueberry bush, and he came out and said, can I help you? And those guys immediately got back in the car.
3: (laughs) Disencountered you.
2: Yeah, and they ran away. So it's not necessarily... I'm very careful about when I forage for plants or for mushrooms that I know what I'm getting what I'm collecting. I'm not one of these people that goes merrily saying, oh, well, flowers, all flowers are edible. No, they're not. All berries are edible. No, they're not. You have to know what you're going after. And so that's one of the things that I'm very, very careful about.
1: Uh, I imagine, Blanche, it can be pretty daunting for beginners who would like to forage, who would like to, 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 to go out... I mean, which plants are edible, which aren't. Some of them, they're lookalikes. Uh, is it best to go out with an experiencing, experienced forager such as yourself? Or are there guidebooks people can read to, to do it themselves?
2: Oh, yes. it's. I think the best thing is to go with somebody who is actually eaten and is still a, alarm, around and alive. <laughs> uh, it's just... It's just, that's, I think, the number one thing, although there are a lot of guides now that are really good books with excellent photographs, but I think to be able to go out and actually smell a plant, see it in its habitat, and have somebody tell you, well, this is how I use it. And sometimes some plants you can eat uncooked, but some plants you have to cook. Like mushrooms, I say... You should never eat raw mushrooms. Now, this is kind of crazy because so many people go on to salad bars and there are little button mushrooms and people eat them. And most people don't have any problem, but mushrooms have a chitin in them, which is humans can't really digest it too well. So I always tell people, cook your mushrooms.
1: And mushrooms are one of those things where it's, Really good to have experience experienced experience oh, yeah. guide because there are some lookalikes there that definitely. can be problematic in real significant ways, right? Yeah.
2: Oh, definitely. And on one of my Facebook posts, I give a list of books that I found that are really good foraging guides and also books to, about different plants and also some websites. So if you go to my Facebook page, which is called... Mm, if I can remember, but Facebook, colon, forage, uh, forage, no, it's called Forage, colon, Field and Forest.
1: Field and Forest, and yeah. Wild Weed Woman too, right? Wild Weed
2: Woman, that was my website, I think, and I don't have that anymore, but maybe that's the address of my foraging, you know, Facebook page. I'm not sure. We'll
1: try to pull that up and at the end of the show give yeah. our listeners that. Yeah. Blanche, there must be some sort of etiquette for foraging, oh, yeah. Do do's and don'ts, if you will. Can you share some of those do's and don'ts?
2: Yeah, I actually, when I give walks, I pass out a little, I used to pass it out as a paper copy. Now I tell my foraging participants, uh, go to my web, um, go to my um Gmail, and I'll send you a copy on the computer. The first rule of for... I, I have like a mnemonic that I tell people that it's time to go foraging. T-I-M-E. T, know the right time to go foraging. You know Now in July, I'm not getting stinging nettles because they're too far gone. So you need to know when... To go foraging, the right time. I make sure of proper identification. That's the most important thing. If you don't know what it is, don't eat it. Ask somebody. If you, uh, there are plenty of people around this area who are very knowledgeable, and it's not worth it to get sick. Uh, M know the method of preparation, which means, can I eat it? raw or does it have to be cooked? Can I eat it raw and cooked? And then E, the environment where it's growing. You won't find cattails in a dry field. You're going to have to go near a marsh to find them. But it's also important to be a responsible forager. A lot of the plants that I forage are considered invasive. And plants like Japanese knotweed, goutweed, are people can't stand them. They want them away, but so I'll, I I forage them with no problems. I can forage as many of those as possible, but there are plants that are becoming more endangered in the sense because a lot of chefs are discovering them, like ramps
4: mm-hmm.
2: and morel mushrooms, and so. Uh, And ostrich ferns, and those I only take, like ostrich ferns grow in a clump, maybe five or six to a clump. I only take maybe one from each clump because I want to be a responsible forager, and that's really important is to be aware of what plants are going crazy around the area so you can pick as many as you want or the ones that you should be more respectful of because we're not the only ones eating them, there are animals that are eating them as well. So
1: it's really important to uh, to recognize the impact that foragers have on the environment. And overforging can be problematic. And, and yes. taking a little and leaving a lot is is really important. Um, let's talk about how you got started in this. You've been doing this for over 50 years. What prompted You're interested in foraging.
2: It's weird. I think I was just born interested in plants.
1: Born to be wild.
2: Born to be wild. There's a
1: song there, I think.
2: Born to be a wild weed woman. And that's funny. When I called myself that, uh, I had a lot of people um, writing me saying, where can I get some good weed? (laughs) No, I'm not that kind of weed woman. I'm just a regular weeds woman. But I also... I'm talking about weeds but I also am interested in cultivated plants. Plants that people have in their gardens and they don't know that those plants can also be eaten. And that's why I kind of I'm really more of a wild and tame kind of person. So, how did I get started? I was very interested in plants. I went for walks with my dad, Uh, He knew a few plants. He had grown up on a farm, but not really much. And then when I was in high school, I became very interested in learning about practical uses of plants. And this was B.C., before computers, way, way before computers. So I had to go to the library and see if I could find some books, and I found maybe one or two. But then, as I was telling Brian earlier, I found the book called Stalking the Wild Asparagus by Ewell Gibbons. And the nice thing about that book was, first of all, I felt like he was right in the room with me. He was a wonderful writer. And he not only talked about the plants, but he gave recipes on how to use them. Uh, There were no photographs in the book. There were illustrations. Um, I guess I can call myself an artist So I um, have a good eye for plants, so from his illustrations, I could figure out what the plants looked like. But again, I would be very careful, and there was no internet at that point. I couldn't Google up the name of a plant. I didn't have a phone to do magic things. Point it at a plant and find out what it was. So that's what got me started, and I read every one of his books and tried a lot of his recipes and I became more confident. And any time there was somebody who was a naturalist who was leading a walk, I would go on it, and I still do because I'm always learning from people, other people, and I don't know everything. Um, that's what I like about doing foraging is that I'm constantly learning.
1: Always something new in the natural I'm world.
2: A, I'm a very curious person, so <laughs> I like to know what other people are doing. We're, we're, talking, we're
1: talking with Blanche Derby. Blanche, for over 50 years, has been a wild weed woman, and that's weed with a small W, not, <laughs> not, not, I guess, the big W. She's <laughs> been foraging for food and supplementing her diet for over half a century. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk further with Blanche. Stay with us. Nothing
0: to get hung on. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMT.
5: Moses and Kitch want out of their Chicago neighborhood and off the corner to which they are tethered. They dream of things, clean socks and the return of a dead brother, things that await in the promised land. If only they can pass over. The Chester Theatre Company presents Pass Over, Antoinette Nwandu's surreal and morbidly funny existential drama. The first play performed when Broadway reopened last year. Pass Over, this week and next week. Get tickets now at chestertheater.org. Hi, I'm Missy Catro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started. Or if you're ready, visit our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy e. Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th Be a first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You
2: can count on your friends at the co-op.
6: THE FEDERAL TRADE COMMISSION IS WARNING MILITARY FAMILIES ABOUT THE THREAT OF IDENTITY THEFT. OFFICIALS HAVE FOUND THAT ACTIVE DUTY SERVICE MEMBERS ARE 76% MORE LIKELY TO REPORT BEING TARGETED BY IDENTITY THIEVES than OTHER AMERICANS, ESPECIALLY WHEN THEY ARE MOVING. SERVICE PERSONNEL ARE URGED TO CLOSELY MONITOR THEIR BANK ACCOUNTS. SENATE DEMOCRATS SAY THEY HAVE ENOUGH VOTES TO PASS LEGISLATION THAT WOULD ALMOST CERTAINLY LOWER PRESCRIPTION DRUG PRICES. Lawmakers could vote within days on a bill, giving Medicare the power to negotiate prescription drug prices. If you want to live longer, get off the couch. Researchers at the American Heart Association have released a new study highlighting the benefits of regular exercise. The researchers say they found that exercising just two and a half hours a week lowers the risk of an early death. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: And we are talking this afternoon with Blanche Derby. Blanche has been foraging for wild foods for over half of a century, which is pretty impressive. She has three films, three books, over 75 YouTube videos. and You really want to check out her, uh, her YouTube stuff. You go and sort of YouTube edible plants, and Blanche is sure to come up. Uh, she's got some really really cool stuff that is out there. Blanche, we we're talking about uh summer, what you're doing now, which is berry time. Uh fall is I saw leaves changing color up at D.A.R. in Goshen yesterday. <gasps> I know I had to yeah. gasp about that. Yeah. Um what what happens next? What do you look forward to in the fall?
2: Well, what's co- up and coming is right now is elderberries. Um Those are getting ripe probably in the next week or two, and I don't eat them right off the bush. What I do is I dry them or freeze them and save them and cook them up. And also elderberry syrup is a wonderful thing for colds and flu. I'm not sure if it's good for COVID. I don't know what's good for COVID besides the shots, and maybe they don't work either, but who knows. Anyway, but my husband always was getting colds and... He was sometimes coming down with the fluid during the winter. So we got, we bought, at some of the local stores, Whole Foods or River Valley Market, elderberry syrup. Because I had read that this was really, really good for, if you felt you were coming down with a cold. So he took it, and we, anytime we feel the cold coming on, we
1: take it. And some. this is in August?
2: This is probably, yeah, it's almost August now. So yeah. elderberries are coming up now. Um, Kusa dogwood is an ornamental. I call it an edimental, which is edible <laughs> ornamental.
1: Oh, that's cute.
2: And it's grown on college campuses. And it has these, it's a dogwood, and it's an imp- import from Japan. And it has these incredible berries that look like a soccer ball on a stick. The berries are fuchsia on the outside, they're round, about the size of a gumball, maybe a little bit bigger. And you open them up, and it's like a custard inside. It's mm. orange. If you go to one of my YouTube videos, the one on kusa dogwood, you'll see kusa k. K with a. Uh-huh. You'll see what I mean. That's what I eat. I eat them raw. I open them up and suck the insides out, spit out the seeds. Oh, they're wonderful. Wow. And of course, the fall is the time of bear of nuts. And there's so many nuts that are wild, lots of walnuts that are, you know, you can find them on the sidewalk. Hickory nuts, hazelnuts are coming. I think those are one of the first. I think they come near the end of August, and you can find them in the wild. Acorns, a lot of folks out west eat acorn meal. I've tried it. It, Acorns can be very bitter, so you have to do some... I don't know what it's cooking them to get rid of the tannins in them. And that I'll, was a
1: staple crop for native Yeah, for native peoples here.
2: out in the West. Uh-huh. He, there's too much work for me, so I usually stick to hickory nuts, which are my absolute favorite. They're ready in September, I think, around September. And some of the greens start coming back, like lamb's quarters. Uh, they are kind of gone by now and but in the fall they come back and they're like a wild spinach and stinging nettles sometimes come back.
1: The stinging nettles I think of, ouch, I don't want to walk through them but you can eat them.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. What you do is you wear gloves when you collect them and you, once you put them in water, the stingers are completely dissolved and they are very high in chlorophyll and protein. It's What was, I guess some people call a superfood. I think that's more of a marketing term, but it's true. I mean, nettles are really good for allergies, supposedly. I use, you can use them as a um, spinach substitute, but it has many uses.
1: And fall is mushroom time.
2: And fall is mushroom time, definitely, but it's been so dry now. I hope we get some more rain (laughs) because that's what mushrooms want. They need the rain, and mytakis are usually very, very plentiful around here. Hen they, of the
7: woods, we call
2: those, right? Yeah, hen of the woods. Mm-hmm. They like to grow under oak trees. So when you're foraging, you also have to know about what habitat, as I mentioned, or where they're going to be found. And oftentimes, you'll find the hen of the woods or the mytakis under oak trees, under Red Oaks.
1: Blanche, you do a lot of guided walks. So for people who are interested in learning about this from an expert, uh, you are you are the go-to woman for that. Do you have a walks coming up?
2: Well, you know, it's summer and it's hot and people are on vacation. So probably not in July or August, but I may start doing some in September. Of course, COVID was really came and did a number on everyone. And I used to do a lot of walks in the spring, especially. So in the spring, you know, May, June, I do walks. And probably September and October, I may do a few. And I will announce them on my forage and feasting, forage feast and field and feast page, whatever, my Facebook page.
1: Forage, field, and forest. Yes. Forage, field, and forest Facebook to to learn about everything uh, uh, Blanche Derby-like, which means wild, edibles, and tame
2: ones, too.
1: And tame ones, too. Yeah. Blanche, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's really uh, fun to hear about some of the stuff that that uh, that people know nothing about, which is our ability to go out in the woods and forage and get lots of nutritious uh, stuff from, <laughs> from the forest.
2: And you may see me riding my bike around because that's my mode of transportation.
1: <laughs> Hoorah. <laughs> Hoorah. Stick with us and we'll be right back.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMT.
7: The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield.
4: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Labor organizers at Trader Joe's will find out today if there is enough support among employees to form the chain's first union. A union organizer says about 80 workers at the Hadley store were expected to cast ballots over two days. The workers are organizing under the name Trader Joe's United. Trader Joe's in a statement says they welcome the vote, but say their compensation and benefits are already among the retail industry's best. Senator Eric Lesser says that a recent article by the Boston Globe, which revealed his opponent for the Democratic nomination for lieutenant governor, Kim Driscoll, is receiving support from a super PAC, is alarming and shows the vast influence that big money can have on state-level elections.
6: If
0: shadowy outside money of unlimited amounts and undisclosed amounts from Republicans and from people who support very right-wing Republicans all across the country are coming in and picking sides in a Democratic primary, that creates a very dangerous precedent moving forward.
4: The Democratic primary will be decided on September 6. The cause of the fire at the former Strathmore paper mill in Russell that started Tuesday has been determined. The State Department of Fire Services spokesperson Jake Wark tells 22 News the fire was started accidentally with a welding device being used by the building's owner. The welding device ignited combustible materials in the area of a catwalk between Warinoco Road and another mill building across the street. The owner was issued a notice of violation for failure to comply with the Massachusetts Comprehensive Fire Safety Code.
0: Suncloud cloud mix this afternoon, scattered showers and thunderstorms. Some could be strong to severe, a high of 84 to 88, an early evening. Evening shower or storm, then variable clouds, 62 to 68. Mostly cloudy, scattered, light showers tomorrow. A high of 82 to 86, partly to mostly sunny mid-80s on Saturday. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle.
7: All that and the best selection, the most pre-owned vehicles you'll find anywhere in Franklin County and beyond. Over 100 to choose from, including five Honda Civics in stock, five HRVs, five CRVs, and over over 20 half and three quarter ton pickup trucks in stock and ready to roll. Lundgren Honda is constantly loading up on inventory, so experience it. The best
0: selection of new and used vehicles in the tri-state region for the best price you'll find anywhere
1: consumer satisfaction
0: award winners two years running lundgren honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience see the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 federal street and lundgren honda of greenfield.com lundgren honda of greenfield experience it In a couple of hours or less, you can be at the beach, toes in the sand, bouncing in the waves, which means fresh just off the boat seafood is only a couple of hours away, or minutes away, at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where the seafood is delivered direct from the fishing boats. Cod, salmon, scallops, no warehousing, it goes from the dock to the kitchen door. Try Paul and Elizabeth's fish and chips with that lighter than air tempura batter. Try the scallops, broiled with garlic butter and fresh herbs. There's no beach at Paul and Elizabeth's, but the seafood? com this is the afternoon buzz with buzz eisenberg 1015 whmp
8: good thursday afternoon here on take five at whmp it is a wonderful thursday afternoon because i have an extremely special guest here but before we introduce our guest i want to thank al blankenship who is um, my co-host today He's a board member on the Northampton Jazz Festival, and he's also the treasurer. And he's a music lover of our guest today. And I want to thank John. Blank- I want to thank Al Blankenship for inviting the great guitarist and musician, and songwriter and arranger, and mandolinist and vocalist, etc., etc., etc. John Jorgensen on our show. Um, the reason why we have John Jorgensen on our show is because he's playing at Bombix tonight, uh, which is, you know, our beloved new performance venue over here in Florence. So, John, thank you so much for being in Western Mass, and thank you for just gracing us this afternoon before your show. Welcome.
7: Oh, I'm uh, very, very happy to be playing there tonight, and I I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me.
8: Well, our, our pleasure. I um, I know that you have played in Northampton before. I know Al mentioned seeing you at um, the Venerable Iron Horse, and I think you may have played in a couple of other spots, but it's maybe been a little while since you've been in Western Mass, yes?
7: Yes. It, it's actually been a little while since I've been anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems like I used to come places about once a year, maybe, but... Uh, but, yeah, everything is, you know, especially for touring musicians, it's, it's been really uh, crazy, you know, kind of stop, start, stop, start. And um, things haven't equalized yet. So I'm just happy to be getting out there and being able to perform and, you know, just kind of taking it as it comes.
8: I think you're going to really love Bombix, John. It's a very, very special performance space um, that, that you will witness and experience tonight. So um, Al and I can't wait to see you there.
7: Well, I look forward to, to seeing it. And, and our ensemble, you know, the John Jorgensen Quintet, is such a tight and dynamic ensemble, and we usually play even better if the venue sound is good for us. So we like to play whisper quiet sometimes and then just come crashing in. And uh, we like to try to make use of every available dynamic and emotion that uh, a group of musicians can put together.
8: Well, you know, before we um, talk a little bit more about the John Jorgensen Quintet, um, we know that uh, many of the listeners today may know you from your early country days as lead guitarist for the Desert Road Band. Um, Maybe others remember you as one of um, the great musicians uh, and lead guitarists in the Helicasters. Um, And of course, as Al has reminded me, touring for six years with Elton John, they've probably seen you on the stage.
7: (laughs) It's a crazy resume, isn't it? And, And I started as a classical musician, so to go through all of these different styles, uh, you know, country and bluegrass and rock and pop and jazz. And, um, I I just feel really fortunate because I've always liked all different kinds of music. And it's not that often that, that anybody can really go convincingly from one style into another. And I'm, I'm just grateful that I've been able to do all these different things over my past
1: career.
3: Uh, besides currently touring with uh, John Jericho Quintet, you've been touring with the uh, Bluegrass Band too. So I guess the folks outside want to know how did your interest start with gypsy jazz and bluegrass, coming from a classical background?
7: Well, uh, gypsy jazz, you know, I it actually came almost two to Gypsy Jazz through Dixieland, Um, I started playing in a band at Disneyland in California that was playing Dixieland music. And I didn't really know that style very much, and I was playing the clarinet. And the banjo player in the band was so flashy and was playing all this really amazing, flashy stuff from banjo players from the 1920s and 30s. I thought you know, there must be a guitar player from back then that did some amazing flashy stuff too. I'd like to learn that. And everybody talked about Django Reinhardt and how amazing he was. And that's how I discovered Django. I I read about him in a lot of different interviews. And finally, I said, I got to listen to this guy. And when I heard him, uh, his style was so exciting on the acoustic guitar that I just was immediately drawn to it. And I had to to start learning it. That was back in 1979. And at that same time, uh, during my days at Disneyland, half the day I would play bluegrass, mandolin, and the other half would be Dixieland clarinet. And so I was learning bluegrass at the same time. And uh, they're very closely related, really. All acoustic string music oriented. Um, Just one really has more of a European accent and more slanted toward jazz, and the other one has quite an American accent and
8: slanted towards country. So that's a good question, Al. That is a cool, cool answer. Oh, my goodness. That, that's, that seems like just a whole lecture that you could give on that for certainly more than one class period. Um, speaking a little bit deeper about the Gypsy Jazz, um, one of the things that I noticed um, when I was doing a little bit of fun reading about you is that your quintet has been considered to be the U.S. Ambassadors of Gypsy Jazz. Can you talk about why you all have gotten that moniker?
7: Um, I think it's because it it really is uh, traditionally a European style. And my quintet and I were, we were some of the first Americans to really get to perform this music all over the country. And, you know, we, we played it in all of the states, there are festivals. Um, we, actually, we actually got to headline the Django Reinhardt Memorial Festival in France as an American group. And that's very unusual, because really it's, it's French music really in its heart. And so for them to embrace me in that way was quite a big honor. So I think it's because of both of those things. Um, we've performed it in China, uh, in in Scotland, in England, in France, Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, um really all all over the world. So there you go.
8: That's fascinating. That that here you are, the US ambassadors of gypsy jazz playing in France. That that that's a fascinating um image, both um musically as well as visually. Um so we've we've got a couple more minutes before our our little commercial break. So I'm going to take this opportunity to just remind people that we're talking to the John to John Jorgensen, and he is um, a world class musician who is coming to the Bombic Center for Arts and Equity tonight. His concert is at seven o'clock, and it, he's playing with his qu- quintet, which will be. Um, as you just heard, they are the U.S. ambassadors of Gypsy Jazz, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about a couple of his tunes that are fascinating, I know, to me, and probably will be for you too. So go to bombix.live. There are still tickets available. One thing you should also know is that the church, which is where, uh, what Bombix is, is air-conditioned. So if it's anything like the heat that we got last week, you want to be there tonight at 7 o'clock. Bombix.live for your tickets for John Jorgensen Quintet. We're going to take a break, and then we'll be right back.
2: Happy
6: talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd
5: like to do.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 W H M P. The Governor's Council matters. It has the final word, yes or no, on all judicial nominations in the Commonwealth, and it rules on pardons and commutations as well. Join us when we speak with one of the candidates for Governor's Council in our Western Massachusetts, the 8th District, Michael Fenton, who will be our guest Friday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP
5: News, Information, and the Arts. Sidewalk sales, downtown Northampton. Sidewalk sales, walk away with? A pair of pants, soap from France. Walk away with a bargain.
0: Sidewalk sales, now in downtown Northampton.
9: Hello, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Many of our customers are surviving spouses who have found themselves suddenly in charge of their household's financial savings and investments, which had previously been handled exclusively by their late spouse. A number of our female customers have told us that one of the reasons they moved their accounts to GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services was because they felt patronized or talked down to by their spouse's financial advisor. At GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, our team of professionals will always treat you with respect and compassion. If you are looking for portfolio management, estate settlement services, or trust services, please call us, Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services at 413 775 8335 that's 413-775-8335 or stop into any GSB office or contact us online through the wealth management section at greenfieldsavings.com thank you
0: when it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it the only live and local news in the pioneer valley and for the pioneer valley WHMP This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
8: Welcome back to Take 5. Today with my co-host Al Blankenship of the Northampton Jazz Festival and with our very special guest, John Jorgensen, who is going to be playing tonight with his quintet at Bombix in Florence. Bombix.live to get your tickets. Um, This is a Uh, an ensemble that you do not want to miss. Um, John, we were talking a little bit about your quintet as being the U.S. ambassadors of Gypsy Jazz. I wanted to just dig in a little bit to one of the songs that Al actually shared with me that is one of his favorites, Mediterranean Blues. And I just was so blown away by that piece because it's like a combination of Gypsy Jazz, Jazz, Fast swing, totally fresh, new, hip. Did you compose this?
7: Um, no, I, I didn't. This was composed by a friend of mine named Robin Nolan, and um, I just really liked it. The you know I, I introduced this song live as uh, kind of <laughs> wrapping so many international flavors into one one piece. So, so he he was born in Vietnam raised in England, lives now in the Netherlands, and this is a song that I heard him play in France called Mediterranean Blues. So you, you get all of these different, uh, all these different kind of national, uh, national flavors in that song, and it's a really good vehicle for improvisation, as you heard in the recording. Um, And we have so much fun as an ensemble playing that because it is, uh, it does sort of lean on the Latin side of Gypsy Jazz. So uh, traditionally, Gypsy Jazz was very much in the swing feel. Um, But in the really in the 90s, uh, a heavy Latin influence started coming into it. And um, so all the feels. That, that we like to play is that we, we play a lot of um, international sounding music with uh, influences from Spain and Greece and uh, Romania and all over the world. So that's, that's one of those that does that.
8: Are you going to be doing that tonight? Are you going to take us on a tour around the world with your music?
7: I, definitely. I'll bring the uh, the Greek bouzouki, uh, the clarinet. You'll be hearing some flamenco influences, some Arabic influences. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's basically what happens.
3: And you're bringing in Rory Hoffman, right?
7: <laughs> Rory Hoffman yes. and Rick Reed,
3: right. Simon playing, Planting. Yes,
7: oh. yeah, Simon Planting on the bass. Uh, Rick Reed, amazing on the percussion. Uh, Rory will be playing uh, accordion, guitar, and piano. And Casey Driscoll will be on violin. And then, of course, myself on the clarinet, bazooka, and guitar.
3: Wow. (laughs) Um, So I was wondering, I've seen you many times, and I never asked you this question. Can you reflect on being impressed by any particular artist that you saw and thought, I want to play music with them, and did you
7: oh, well, you know it i there was many people that I saw that I thought I would like to play music with um, and 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 some that eventually I got to, but I'd never thought it was a possibility at the time, to be honest. I mean, uh, when I was uh, I first saw David Grisman. In his quintet, uh, I was so amazed by his playing, and and little did I know, a number of years later, he would would be not only playing with me, but a guest on my own album. Um, Many, many different artists, like from Willie Nelson to Johnny Cash to Little Richard to uh, The Birds to, I mean, uh, Sting, Billy Joel, Elton John, Bonnie Raitt. Um, Bonnie Raitt's one that I thought I'd heard about, that she was recording a new album. And I thought, ooh, I'd love to play on that album. And actually, the producer, Don Was called me and asked me to come and play on her album. And it was uh, the Nick of Time album, which won so many Grammys. So that's probably the closest to really answering your question, because I'd, I'd heard her, and I thought, yeah, I would love to record with her, and it happened.
8: You know, it's interesting. You you mentioned so many different genres of 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 musicians who've influenced you, John. Um, what do you f- with all those genres? I mean, I, it's it's almost like this just absolutely delicious soup of musicians who have just made you who you are today. But is there one particular genre that you feel are it, it is really your roots in your music and? What, and do they st- And does it still serve you today? Is there any particular genre?
7: Well, I guess, I mean, the earliest type of music that I listened to was classical music of Tchaikovsky and Saint-Saëns and Debussy and Rachmaninoff and Beethoven and Mozart, and Bach, Vivaldi. Um, so I, I guess, you know, that's what I was hearing from my parents and in my house. Um, but when I started getting to choose my own music to listen to, then it was the Beatles and the Birds and Buffalo Springfield and Jimi Hendrix and um, so that, that's a. But they all all the styles fill me in a different way, and I think that's probably why I've I've been hopping around so much in my career is because I. I just absolutely adore Rockabilly, for example, and I, I love to play it in the traditional style, and the same thing with Bluegrass, and um, getting to do that with Earl Scruggs, one of the architects of Bluegrass was a, a huge highlight. Um, so, no, there's there's not just one. Because <laughs> I really view music basically as all the same, you know, it has all the same ingredients. It just each style has a different accent and a different set of dynamics and a different set of color palettes. It, it's like different artists, you know, visual artists. It's all art. And, and they're all using basically the same materials, but it comes out so differently.
8: Again, I would love to talk to you about this for another two hours. That last that last sentence itself is fascinating. The contrast between an artist and and his or her, you know, tools versus a musician's and how you use them. But we need to wrap this up, unfortunately, in the next couple of minutes. Um, Al's going to uh, ask you, I think, a couple more things, but then I want to make sure that we have time at the end to again repeat that we're we're talking to John Jorgensen, and want to give more information about the concert tonight.
3: John, are there any uh, future projects that uh, you want to tell us about that you're going to be doing?
7: Yes. Um, uh, Ruth mentioned the Desert Rose Band, uh, which was probably the the first time that I became, um, instead of a local artist in California, I became more of a national and international artist. Um, that was in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. And the, the band is going to reunite for one concert October 2nd at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And that's to highlight the opening of a California country rock exhibit, which, which features all the musicians from L.A. in bluegrass and country from the early 60s to the early 90s. And then two days before that, on the thirtieth of September, I'm the musical director for a multi-artist show that will feature um, musicians from the Buffalo Springfield and the Birds and uh, the Eagles and the Dillards and uh,
9: Burrito Brothers.
7: Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, the Burrito Brothers too. Yep, you bet. Um, that sounds and incredible, John. Band, uh, so. Yeah, that'll be an interesting... And that's project.
8: taking place down in, in Nashville?
7: Yes. at the, Both of these events are at the Country Music Hall of Fame in the CMA Theater, and they're both to announce this new exhibit that will be opening there. Um, it opens on the 29th of September.
8: That's exciting. Congratulations on that. So I just want to close up um, for our listeners' sake that we have had a fabulous, fascinating interview with John Jorgensen, who is coming to the Bombix um, Center for Arts and Equity tonight at 7 p.m. There are still tickets available in this wonderful, gorgeous, air-conditioned, heavenly church space in Florence, and he's going to be playing with his quintet a whole series of gypsy jazz-inspired music that will literally take you on a tour around the world with music. So, John, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here today, and can't wait to hear you in a couple hours.
7: Oh, thank you, Ruth and and Al. uh, I really appreciate this chance to talk to both of you and and to your listeners. So, uh, hope to see a lot of you tonight.
8: Thanks. Thank you, Jan. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this segment of Take 5, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It
8: would be so nice to come home.
9: WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply.
0: Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision making. Every Saturday morning, hear real life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Francis Rayem, Saturday mornings at 8:30 on 101.5, 1400 and 1240 WHMP.
4: Forbes Library Outreach Delivery
5: Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short- or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at forbeslibrary.org outreach.
7: Grow Food Northampton helps you make the local food
0: system better. This is Michael Skillcorn, Director of Programs. You can join us by shopping at Northampton Tuesday Market, getting a plot at our community garden in Florence, buying a farm share at Crimson and Clover or Sawmill Herb Farm. You can volunteer with us in our giving garden or participate in The only in live and local food. talk in the Valley the and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station.
4: It's 5.